Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast, the draft podcast presented by Pepsi. We got Dan Spioski on this episode, the director of personnel operations, which means. Which means he's involved in a lot, not just on the college side for a long time. DZ, who I think has been here 14 seasons now, probably entering his 15th season now. He was a coordinator of college scouting, but he added the pro side of things to his duties as well. So Dan's involved in a lot of things here behind the scenes. And Dan, we'll get into this, is the guy who is on the horn with the league at the time that the Jets put in the player that they want to select. So high-pressure situation. He's always come up clutch. He is he's the guy <laughs> in the spotlight. You're talking about a guy spotlight draft weekend. We think about Joe Douglas and Rex Hogan and company. But how about DZ? He's taking that name and calling the league. Or in some cases, he's telling the league of trade conditions right. as well. So he's been doing that for a long time for the Jets. And you know this, being on the ground in Indianapolis, one of the things for a long time, one of his busiest weeks of the year was always the Indianapolis Combine. But like everybody this year, uh, a lot of change uh, involved in his duties. Um, so for the Jets and the rest of the National Football League, you skip Combines, you go right to Pro Days, and Pro Days are basically coming to an end right now. So that's signaling the real transition. The draft is almost here. All right. We're, we're going to talk some draft, you and I. But first, let's hear from Dan Spioski. Dan, thanks for joining us here on the official Jets podcast. You know, you wear a lot of hats throughout the course of the season. This is a very busy time of year for you. So how would you describe all the different hats you wear and what is your role like in the draft in particular? Sure. So in personal operations, you know, we try to do our best to support our scouting department as a whole. Uh, it's myself and Christina Wedding, who's our coordinator of personnel ops. And our goal is really to get our scouts and the rest of our department all the tools they need to be able to evaluate players effectively. You know, in the fall, you know, that might mean getting them the information about the schools that they're assigned to, uh, their prospect list, uh, different data on those prospects themselves. And then, you know, throughout the year, we really, you know, support the, the group in preparing for all the different events, whether that be all-star games, uh, the combine, our different meetings throughout the year, both on the pro and the college side. Um, you know, free agency, uh, which we just went through, and then, of course, preparing for the draft. So, you know, we get a chance uh, together here to work with a lot of different departments and really support a lot of people. Um, so that's uh, that's really the, the most of it. Uh, speaking of that, DZ, uh, a lot of people think uh, data collection means statistics. Uh, it's a lot more than that. And um, what can you tell us as far as that process is concerned, not only your role there, but also who you're connected with inside the organization. Yeah, sure. So, you know, obviously we, we collect a lot of data on the, uh, the prospects, both on the college and pro side um, that we're evaluating. You know, that process starts in the, just after the draft uh, when we receive the new class from NFS. And, you know, that includes measurable data, uh, back, initial background information and evaluations from that group. And, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we convey that to our scouts in the most effective way possible. So we work with our IT department, specifically Matt Capagrosso and Chris Miller, who do an outstanding job for us of really, you know, taking the uh, the ideas we have for how to share that information and developing really effective tools for our scouts uh, that we can use throughout the year. You know, we've built uh, really an outstanding uh, scouting system here that uh, is really efficient and effective for both our scouts on the road and our in-house scouts. 
as well as our coaches. So, uh, you know, really thankful to that group for, for what they do. Um, but yeah, we collect a lot of data throughout the year, specifically at this time of the year, um, a lot of pro day data um, where uh, we get information about the workouts from these players and, uh, and work to analyze that. You know, you mentioned the pro days. We spoke to Dom Green, who talked about, you know, we, we kind of broke down what this process has been like, the pre-draft process without a typical combine, heavily reliant on pro days. Just how important are pro days and what's it like for you, you know, organizing who goes to what pro day, this point, this part of the country, all throughout the course of the past month or so? Yeah, so obviously this year has been, uh, been different as was last uh, than a traditional year. You know, last year we had the combine, but essentially got called off the road uh, right at the start of pro days. And then, you know, this year it's kind of the opposite. There's no no in-person combine, and we're really heavily reliant on the pro day information uh, to be able to gather uh, this workout data and uh, and see how these players move around. So, you know, being, you know, off college campuses throughout the fall and not being able to see these players compete in person, um, you know, not really getting to be up close and personal with them. You know, the pro days are extremely valuable to us. You know, we try to make sure that we have coverage uh, at every one, uh, of course, specifically at the ones where we have uh, if prospects we want to make sure we gather data on. Um, but, yeah, our scouts have done a great job getting on the road uh, this spring, especially after uh, mostly being at home throughout the fall and really getting around and, uh, and getting their eyes on these guys and, and really seeing how, getting a chance to see how they compete, how they move in person, get that live scouting look and, uh, and get that information conveyed to us through our system. Uh, this year was different for everybody, but how unique was it for you? Because as Ethan and I both know, you are central command in Indianapolis when that combine begins in February. No combine this year. And you were the longtime coordinator of college scouting. So it's kind of twofold here. How different did it feel for you not having that week that takes up so much of your time? And also, you've added the pro responsibilities on to this so uh, how much did you get involved in free agency as well yeah sure so as you mentioned you know i previously i was just at the college scouting coordinator and really did a lot of my work just supporting our scouts in the various events especially the combine which is kind of the largest thing we plan for logistically um and as you mentioned does take up a, a good deal of time but you know being able to be involved with the pro department uh, this year, specifically free agency, the process we just went through was was really excellent. You know, working with Greg Nedjba and the rest of the group and those scouts, um, you know, was was really enjoyable for me. Um, and to, to see that process and uh, and and go through that this year without the combine allowed me to really focus on that, uh, learn a lot about it, and uh, really provide I think the most uh, most value I could there. You know, Dan, it feels like everyone has mastered at least. At this point, maybe not mastered, but gotten used to working from a virtual space. That includes your department. That includes our department here on the content side. But with the draft upcoming, with the different NFL protocols that allows you to be in the facility, what benefit does that add that maybe you didn't have last year at the at the draft, the virtual draft, hopefully the one and only? Yeah, last year obviously was very different for us, but I thought we did a great job. You know, working with uh, with our entire support group here to be able to adjust to that, uh, it was a challenge, but it was it was rewarding as well to be able to accomplish it, and uh, and it was unique. You know, so uh, you know, I I got to be honest, I did I did enjoy the process last year, uh, the challenges of figuring out how to handle it, but you know, this year will be a little bit more traditional, uh, we hope, uh, and uh, there's obviously advantage to that, um, just you know, with communication and and uh, and being able to uh, 
can meet with people more easily, um, you know, and uh, and have discussions that uh, that previously uh, might have a barrier between them. So you now I'm looking forward to to having our group in and uh, and being able to see them and uh, and communicate with them a lot more easily. Well, let's talk about having your group in. You guys are going to have these final pre-draft meetings here at One Jets Drive. Uh, can you talk about what happens in these final stages before the draft? And also, how nice is it for you guys? How much of a benefit is it that the scouts are actually going to be here at One Jets Drive this year? Yeah, so the, the April uh, draft meeting process, you're really starting to loop in or finalizing looping in your coaches into the process. Um, you know, throughout um, a normal year, uh, they get their first exposure to the college players at the combine and then through the, the pro day and private workout process throughout March. And then uh, the April meeting would be gathering together to discuss all the information that was acquired uh, during that time period. So, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, updated spring reports from our scouts um, to discuss things that have happened since the, the end of the season, uh, how their opinions may have changed about players. Uh, and then we'll get to hear how these players fit into our scheme according to our coaches, which this year specifically is huge for us. You know, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in February, you know, getting familiar with the new scheme, uh, making adjustments to kind of what we were looking for and, and which players uh, fit us a little bit better than they may have previously. And, uh, you know, the more we can be together and discuss those things and hear our coaches discuss players and how they fit and how what traits they're looking for, the better for all of us. It's going to pay rewards for us you know, obviously through this draft and into, into next season moving forward. So uh, being able to be around each other, uh, participate in those meetings, uh, it's really huge for us and uh, a process that we're all looking forward to. You know, you kind of touched on it in your answer there, but I think a lot of fans will say, oh, the draft is in three weeks. There's not a lot that will change. Joe Douglas said there's still a lot of meat left on the bone. And as you just properly laid out, meetings still have to occur. How much you know, I guess how much meat is there left on the boat? How much, how much tink tinkering, huh? Right. How much <laughs> tinkering is there between now and the draft? Because a lot of people say three weeks, not a lot of time, but I feel like through a scout's eyes, three weeks is a ton of time. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the, the main thing that we always fall back on is the film. Um, you know, the games those players played throughout the fall, you know, that's, that's done already and, and has been reviewed. Um, so that's always what you're going to fall back on what happened on the field. Um, but obviously there's different things that have happened since then. You know, we've had the, the senior bowl normal year. We'd have even more all-star games. Uh, and then uh, this year, this pro day process. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, being able to see these players compete in person uh, for some of them, it's the first time that they'll be uh, they'll be measured um, by scouts. And, and you really get a, a better sense for what the total picture is, um, including on uh, on players, both at big and small schools. So, uh, so for our scouts, they're really able to gather a lot of data during this process. And you're also able to get access to uh, coaching staff that you might not have had specifically in this fall. Uh, so, you know, this year, uh, more than most, I'd say that there's, uh, there's more information to, uh, that's been gathered during this part of the process. So there's more to review. And uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that players are going to change uh, on our board or, or what their status is. But, uh, but, you know, we play the entire process out. We make sure that we, we're, we do a thorough job. We listen to everybody who had a chance to see the player and evaluate them and uh, and we make sure that all the information we gather does get reviewed. So there's, yes. there's still plenty left. There's more on uh, on some players than others, but we're definitely going to play the process out. Uh, so many things on my mind right now. Is, is it easier this year, not from the perspective of dealing with the pandemic and doing a virtual draft last year, but 
that was Joe Douglas's first draft as GM of the New York Jets. And as we all know, headlined by a foundational piece, it looks like in uh, Mackay Becton. But as far as the grading system, I imagine you guys were working with the new grading system last year. And now the continuity is there the second time around. Yeah, sure. So, you know, with, with each grading system you use, there's, there are basics that, you know, that it follows uh, just the, the language is just a little bit different. So you're, you're still, you're always going to grade based on the level of talent that a player has, whether it be a high end starter, a starter, low end starter and so forth, uh, all the way down through a, a player that would be good for, uh, for bringing to camp. So really it's, a, it's just a little bit of a learning experience to, to understand the nuance of, of how uh, a specific level applies to this grading scale. You know, they did a great job uh, coming in previously, Joe, Phil, Chad, um, they had all obviously been with this this grading scale previously. So we did a lot of work initially, you know, talking about historically how different players fit into the scale and allowed our scouts to really relate to it uh, and hit the ground running last year. Um, so, uh, yeah, this year is just uh, continuing to build on that, continue to uh, to communicate and uh, and make sure that we're, uh, we're all speaking the same language. And a lot of that is, you know, part of our role here in personal operations and making sure the entire group speaks the same language mm-hmm. and uh, relaying information from our office to our scouts on the road, who uh, it's just, you know, overall harder to, to, to do that. So we keep a high level communication and uh, try to make sure everybody's speaking the same language. 10 picks in total this year, five in the first three rounds, two in the first round. How excited would you describe or how would you describe the excitement on your side of the building to finally put all this hard work and get through the draft and try to make a difference for this team? Yeah. I mean, the draft every year, obviously is a really rewarding process for our scouts. You know, the work that they put in the time they spend uh, away from their families and working. I mean, it's really, you know, it's really incredible to see it all come together. So to have this many opportunities to, uh, to make our team better is always exciting. Uh, you know, we saw that process during, during free agency as well. And, uh, and it's really going to be great to, uh, to go through the process with the, with the group and, uh, and just kind of see where it falls. So we're excited about it for sure. So pick two is huge. We know that. So we're going to ask you who you guys are going to select. No, just kidding. Uh, I want to ask you about the importance of day three and beyond, because I think oftentimes, you know, this people focus on those first round picks that are very important or the second round. And those are important as well. But once you get to day three, you guys have five draft picks. That is half of the 2021 draft class if you stay where you're at. And then also the importance of the undrafted free agents. Yeah, so that's really where the scouting process kicks in. And uh, and you can reap the benefits of, uh, of having uh, a really good process throughout the year. You know, um, with the players that are further down the line, specifically when you get to undrafted free agency, it really becomes – uh, a scout uh, driven process at times. Uh, you know, we have uh, specific scouts that are assigned as, uh, as cross checks uh, for positions and they work directly with our coaching staff uh, to work that back half of the draft and the undrafted process. So, you know, that group getting together and really, you know, understanding what each other want, what type of player we want, what type of person we want in this building, uh, you know, really allows you to uh, to hit on those later prospects and those undrafted players. So, you know, in a lot of ways, that's just as exciting as as uh, you know day one and day two, um, you know, for our scouts because they really get to uh, to take the wheel and uh, and put their stamp on you know the players that are coming in this building. You know, my final question to you, Dan, is EA mentioned the continuity of the grading system, but what about the continuity of the group as a whole and 
how much, you know, more, how much chemistry has there been built from year one to year two? And what, what does that mean in terms of the scouting process? Yeah. You know, it's always a concern, you know, was uh, earlier this year, you know, just in the situation we're in, not being able to get together, you know, normally we'd see each other in December, we'd see each other at all-star games, uh, the combine. Uh, so, you know, those events weren't really able to happen this year in a way that they traditionally would. Uh, but, you know, we did a really, a really great job staying in communication, you know, getting on teams calls uh, frequently, uh, being able to talk to each other. I think the communication this year really was a higher level than it's ever been. And, uh, and, you know, I think we're going to, we're going to see the rewards of that, you know, as we, as we finish up this process here. So, I mean, we have a great group of scouts. We have an outstanding group of coaches. Uh, we're excited to see those, those two groups work together. And, uh, and we're really focused on, uh, on this, this part of the process here and leading up to a successful draft. You mentioned Microsoft Teams. I feel like everybody in the organization has worked in teams and benefited from it. But as far as a football perspective, what would you tell somebody like my father is 81, 82 years old, has no idea what you're talking about, Microsoft Teams. But from a football scouting perspective, why was it advantageous um, not only during the year, but potentially in future years? Yeah. So, you know, what we found last year was, you know, during this this part of the year, we were able to really increase the communication between uh, college players and our staff, both uh, college and and college scouting staff and coaching staff um, in a way that that we hadn't been able to really do previously. You know, being able to get on a team's call, um, easily bring up uh, video from a prospect's, uh, you know, playing season, have him review that um, really seamlessly uh, without any, any lag or error. Uh, really, you know, replicated the combine process for us where, you you know, our coach would normally sit and, uh, and talk with players for, for a brief period of time. So, you know, we're really able to, to act like you're sitting with somebody in person, you know, without having to fly across the country or, uh, or plan everything out. You can just go back to back and, and talk to players, get to know them better, understand uh, more about their personality and, uh, and, and how they fit into their scheme, what type of player they are. And it just really increases, you know, everyone's knowledge of, uh, of, of the draft and, uh, and what we have in front of us. Okay, so millions of Jets fans would love to be in your shoes draft weekend, DZ, you specifically, and tell them why. I want you to tell folks what you actually do before that pick is in. Can you tell us about the process? Take us behind the scenes. Sure. So uh, so I'm in communication with um, – this year it will be with the league directly. I'll be on a conference call uh, with them to uh, make sure we can convey uh, our pick or any any movement that happens before us. Uh, before we get on the clock, uh, and then uh, we'll be uh, in communication with Joe and and uh, and Robert and Mr. Johnson uh, and all of our scouts. You know, as we as we get onto the clock, you know, just really discussing you know what our options are and and what direction we might go in. And uh, and at the end of the process, you know, I'm able to uh, to go ahead and and send a name to the league and and submit the pick itself, uh, which is always a cool process uh, to uh, to complete. And uh, so, yeah, so it's really, you know, being at the center of things and, and, and being able to be, uh, to be around the entire process is a really uh, exciting time for us. Nerve-wracking or old hat for you by now? You know, it's always, <laughs> it always can be nerve-wracking, you know, especially like if, if it, the most exciting part for, for me, you know, being in the room besides actually, you know, selecting a pick is if you're, uh, you know, executing an on-the-clock trade, you know, if you're going to trade out of a pick. Really, the entire room is working. You know, you have Dave Sosis uh, on the phone with the league, trying to get the terms together. You have the scouts that we're working with that 
with that uh, team discussing what the terms of the trade law are. You still have our normal process if the trade were to not work out, where we still have to be able to be prepared to select a pick. So when we're uh, in that part of the process, which you know obviously happens uh, happens often enough uh, throughout the year, um, you know that's always really exciting and can be nerve wracking as as the time uh, clicks down in front of you. But uh, you know that's where you know you know your rehearsals and uh, and your communication pay off in the end, uh, where you can trust everybody to uh, to get their job done uh, in a small period of time and uh, and execute. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I, I bet you you got to be too during that weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's really it's it's what we do the entire process for. You know, it's why we spend all the time we do, and uh, it, really the event itself is is awesome and uh, and really looking forward to it this year. Great insight from Dan, and you know I did say we would talk some drafts. So that, there's two things that I, I want to discuss, yep. or you have the option which one you want to discuss. Thank you. Option A, we can talk about the idea of trading up, which is one that. We haven't really seen Joe Douglas do in his one draft as GM. So let's talk about that. Or two, how about just players who are on the top of mind? Like just guys that that come like that you're, oh, I wonder what this guy's kind of like or whatever, because we're in the thick of draft season. And we can kind of combine both of them. Let's go option one first. Okay. So, because we kind of wrote about it on NewYorkJustice.com over the weekend. I, I just think that uh, – to your point, he's got the ammo to move up if he wants, you know, if the Jets are targeting a specific player. And how is the board going to fall? Because in this draft, like many that have preceded this selection process, the quarterbacks dictate what's going to happen. And it sure seems right now there are going to be a lot of quarterbacks taken in the top 10. Yeah, my the thing that I think of that I, that I find the – when thinking about this draft is tough is we kind of know what types of players Joe Douglas likes. And we kind of know what types of players Robert Sala likes, because you think of the culture, you know, it's works from the inside out on both sides of the ball, but what types of traits do running backs in this system have wide receivers, tight ends. I mean, we don't know the answers to that on offense or defense. And I think that is the wild card in all of this. So let's say, you know, what's kind of on my mind, if there is a receiver that the Jets like and there's a cluster, what do they value different traits wise? We don't know the answer to that. So if there is a player that squeaks out of, you know, the top 12, then you're in the teens. Yeah. It, it, the Jets have the ammo to make that move, but I don't know. I don't know what player they would make the move for based on traits alone. Yeah. And how high are you going to go? And, and the other side of the coin is let's take, last year as an example and Joe Douglas moving down in the second round and obtaining even more picks in the process and still obviously having a group of players in mind mm -hmm. and getting Baylor receiver Denzel Mims after moving down 11 slots in the second round. Yeah. And I think that the other, a lot of, I think the narrative around Joe right now is that he likes to trade down because of last year. Well, the Jets didn't have the draft capital that they do now at this time last year, right? They only had their their picks. They didn't have the extra one, the extra three. Now they not only have the the moves or the ammo to make moves in the first round. I think really where an interesting conversation is is they have the first pick or the second pick in the second round. That's right. They have two third round picks. Maybe if there's a player in the second round that they think they want, they have the ammo to get back in 
to that round. I think that's an interesting thought as well. Yeah, I just think you're going to have a lot of options. And right now, what we're seeing, what we believe is going to happen is a lot of quarterbacks, offensive playmakers being taken in the top 10. Mm -hmm. How many defensive players are going to be taken in the top 10? Are we talking two? Yeah. Are we talking one? It might it might be one. Uh, I mean, I think, and what, a lot of people think that's going to be Caleb, uh, not Caleb Farley, that's a player I want to talk about, Patrick Sertan. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Farley, I think this is an interesting conversation point. We we kind of talked about it earlier today when we were recording our cornerbacks preview on NewYorkChess.com. Check it out. Caleb Farley was regarded as CB2, right, behind Sertan. Then he gets surgery late in the process still scheduled to be on time and healthy by the season. I'm not sure about training camp, but where does that become a conversation? If you're an NFL team, this is now where we see the value to get Caleb Farley and add him to our roster. Well, what's interesting about him is that he had back surgery. He didn't play in the 2020 season. He just had that procedure recently. If his medical checks out, I think most guys, and you've been talking to Dane throughout the year, and we've been reading other analysts and talking to people. I think most people would say he's a top 10 talent. He's 6'2", 270 pounds, ball production. He's a cornerback. Some cornerbacks, they have good skills, but the ball production isn't there. This is a guy who takes the ball away. Four interceptions in 2019, six interceptions over the course of his career at Virginia Tech. Uh, some people think he would be really well suited to play in a zone system. And everybody's expecting, oh, the Jets are automatically playing cover three, cover two. They're going to play some man too. We're, uh, to your point about Mike LaFleur, like Mike LaFleur last week, I would flip to the other side of the ball too. We have these preconceived notions that Salah ran like exactly like this at these various stops. And Jeff Albrecht ran it like this in Atlanta. Well, it's going to be uh, completely unique to the Jets the way they ultimately decide they're going to run things in the back end this year. Yeah, with LaFleur in particular, the thing that intrigues me, a lot of people compare maybe what the Jets will run to what the San Francisco 49ers have run in the past. And, and I, I understand it. They have, And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because of the popularity of a running back in the first or second round to the Jets in the mock draft circuit. The 49ers haven't drafted running back since 2017. On the flip side, Michael LaFleur's brother, Matt LaFleur, runs an offense with Aaron Jones. That's right. And they drafted A.J. Dillon early last year. So, you know, where do the Jets fall in terms of, of like, approach at the running back position is one of the things I'm most interested in. It's like a microcosm of what the Jets situation is right now. We don't know what kind of offense they're going to run. We have an idea, but we don't know what wrinkles LaFleur will add or subtract that's similar or dissimilar to what Shanahan runs? Yeah. So the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to flip it to the other side and say that uh, Bryce Hall and, and Bless Austin, I think, both have physical skill sets that would match what we've seen in this system in the past. Um, as we sit here and we talk about it every week, there's some questions at nickel because Brian Poole's out there and Javelin Gidry did some really good things last year. The Jets have a lot of young cornerbacks on the roster, but you have 10 draft picks. You could certainly use a couple draft picks at the cornerback position. Are you Farley? If he's available at 34, Oh my God. Slam dunk. Uh, if his medical checks out. Yes. Yeah. Well, what, and what about 23 then? 
Oh, you'd certainly, you'd certainly big time consider that. Uh, here's, uh, let me throw another wild card at you. What if Farley and JC Horn are there at 23? Yeah, that's, that would be like a great problem to have, I think. I mean, if you're, Joe I think Douglas, that, that my want... point on 23, just following up quick, is that I I do think there's going to be a there's going to be a few good football players. There could yeah. be a bunch of them, and that's why I think ultimately moving down might be an interesting option once we get there. Yeah. The other thing I'll say, I'm not comparing any player to this player. I'm just saying, when you look at the talent in recent years, let's go back to last year, Justin Jefferson, what 22nd overall selection. There's good talent in the 20s there. DeAndre Hopkins, 27th overall. Yeah. We, we just recorded receivers with Dane Brugler, which is why I know both of those guys. I'm not just thinking wide receiver here. Uh, Jefferson was amazing last year. You think about that trade, and that's what you want in the National Football League. You want a trade to work out for both sides. The Bills get Stephon Diggs. He leads the NFL in receptions and receiving yards, and then Minnesota gets this guy, Justin Jefferson late in the first round. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that is the epitome of a win-win. And we're going to continue to break down the draft from every angle. We have a couple of tricks up our sleeve coming up, even though the draft is around the corner. Well, a final question. Oh, yeah, okay. Linebacker. How many linebackers mm. will be taken before 23? I would say a maximum of two. Assuming you think Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa plays linebacker. Yes, so, I do. So then, yeah, I think it's a maximum of two. I think if I if I were and Michael Parsons going first, I or do you think? I, I think it's a it's a toss up, but I think I do you think, think JOK could go first. I I saw someone put out there that maybe teams aren't as high on Parsons as maybe the media is, but you know it is smokescreen season. So I I think th I think this I think if you were at twenty three, and you were putting the over under, I think the over under is at one and a half. Before 23. What's over under corners? I'd say the over under is one and a half. Before or would 23? you say two? I'd say two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. I mean, yeah, by 23. So is it Sertan and Horn? And does Farley squeak in there? Yeah. Farley's medical checks out. I, I just don't know how realistic it's going to be that he'd be there at 23. I think that might, I that, that might even be crazy talk. It might be crazy talk, but this is what this is what makes the draft fun is the crazy talk. Yeah, I just think that the Jets are in a very favorable position. Not only is, hey, we know it's a fair assessment. They're taking a quarterback at two, but then what's going to happen at 23 and how is that board going to fall? And ultimately, you probably you let the draft play out and then you start working the calls in both directions. Right. Because I think Joe's right now open-minded and everything. And with 21 picks over the next two years, you have a lot of flexibility and you could give up picks without really damaging yourself long-term. Because I think we've talked to, we've spoken to a couple of internal people about it. And they said, the Jets basically have three draft classes in the next two, 21 picks. Typically you have seven picks a year. Yeah, the, the Jets are in a good position this year, next year. It'll be fascinating to see how it all plays out. And like I said, we got some tricks up our sleeves before the draft hits in a couple weeks here. So stay tuned to the draft podcast presented by Pepsi on the official Jets podcast.